This is the Nervous Comic. I'm glad you found me, and I'm hoping to inspire you, maybe entertain you, and give you a little insight onto the world of stand-up comedians. I guess the first thing I want to mention is whenever I do talk to someone about stand-up comedy, they say, why do you do it? Well, I always wanted to do it. I know that sounds cheesy, but that's exactly what it is. I, As a kid, that was probably the only thing I thought I did well, and probably the same thing as an adult. Another thing that always gets asked whenever you tell people you're a stand-up comedian is, are you funny? And I have a different take on that. Are you funny is a very good and bad question. Most stand-ups will hate that when you ask them that. But as a stand-up comedian, this is the overall question that hangs in the air when we go to a club or doing a show. The audience, the managers, the bar staff, ourselves, we're all wondering, are we funny? And hopefully the answer is yes by the time we're done. It's a very hard question and it puts us under a lot of pressure, but hey, that's part of the game. I really think that my dating life was just one long episode of Deal or No Deal. <laughs> With a long line of contestants, night after night, getting a No Deal button. <laughs> Until one night, a contestant did hit the Deal button. That's only because she was so drunk she thought she was hitting the No Deal button. <laughs> Audiences for stand-up comedy, I have a certain idea about them. I always think of every audience as a new girlfriend that you have to impress in the time that you're on stage. And that could be as short as 10 to 20 minutes. Sometimes it's wonderful. It's like the best first date ever. Your date is flirty. They love everything you do. You're holding hands. Things are going somewhere. And sometimes the date is horrible. Sometimes... She won't even hold your hand. Right, Regina? (laughs) If you're from Regina, I am not telling you all are bad, but I have had three shows that I felt unhappy about. I did not connect properly. So I'm telling you right now, Regina, next time I am coming with candy and flowers and we are going to make up and we're going to fix that comedy intersection. So how are you ladies doing back there? Yeah? Alright. It's awesome. I'm just reliving my single days. Talking to women 40 feet away. The drink on the table, asshole. Move along. Okay. One of the things over the years I've always been told is drunk crowds are hard. Drunk crowds are terrible. Oh, the late show, they're drunk. Oh no, what's going to happen? They're drunk. Recently, there's been a couple of things that have changed my mind on this philosophy. One, I was doing a show and it was, there were a few groups of drunk people and 
there was a crowd that just wouldn't listen and they weren't very attentive. But then there was a couple other people who were laughing at everything that I did. So after my show, a little downhearted, I went to the bar. And the one guy who was laughing at all the stuff I was doing came up to me and says, Oh, me and my girlfriend, we love comedy. And you were so funny. I don't know what those other people's problems were. They should have been listening, but they were just talking and being rude and being idiots. And I said, well, people have different ideas of comedy. And besides, they were drunk. And it was at that moment that I realized this guy was also drunk. It has nothing to do with being drunk. And he loved my show. Another time, the crowd was obviously drunk. They were loud. They were a little rowdy. But they were just there to have a good time. And two acts came on before me, and they did not do very well. And I was getting nervous because some of my stuff is kind of thoughtful stuff. And when you're drunk, sometimes it doesn't always connect. I made the decision to try to reach them at the drunk level, which I do have some experience with. So I went up there and I threw all my drunk material at them. I did all sorts of cheers and they loved me. They were my people and I love them. And ever since then, I've never had thoughts in my head that, oh, they're a drunk crowd. It's a blanket thing that doesn't always apply. So for all you budding comedians out there, that's one of the things you'll have to deal with, a drunk crowd. I actually don't have problems with drunk crowds that much or loud crowds. It's the quiet crowds. People get quiet because sometimes you don't read them properly. I often stand in the back of the room and I try to read the crowd as best I can. I'm not psychic, even though I do say I am psychic in my show. I'm not psychic. And sometimes I make a mistake, but I watch and I see who, what are people are laughing at. And sometimes I look and I make generalizations. Oh, it's a young crowd. No problem. I can swear a bit. I can talk about forbidden topics. Sex. I don't know why. People, there are six billion people on the planet. <laughs> Sex is a good thing. It's a natural thing. And it happens quite a bit. I don't know why people are so sticky about it. But I've gone on when there's younger crowds and I've been a little dirty. And they go, oh, we didn't like that, Tim. And they're quiet. And I can tell. You know, they might be a little offended or a little out of place. And then other times I look and I see a bunch of older people and I go, okay, I'll have to clean it up a bit and, you know, be a little sharper. And I've been on stage and I do real clean shows. And after that, they go, hey, how come you didn't swear? <laughs> Why aren't you a little dirtier? And I'm like, oh, man, I don't know what I'm doing. still doesn't trust me even tonight before I left the house she saw me getting dressed up in my good jacket <laughs> she stopped me at the door and she goes hey 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 hey, hey bright eyes you go out there and you do your show there's other women around remember you're a married man so you can look at the menu but you got to eat at home <laughs> I thought, great. I just wish the kitchen was open later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
much fun when the chef keeps falling asleep. <laughs> Trying to get tired of making my own sandwich. <laughs> Anybody in here think I'm talking about cooking? Okay. <laughs> Of course, when it comes to crowds, when I'm working with another comedian, usually I'll help my buddy out because I'm usually the first guy on. And when my buddy goes on, I'm actually the third eye because you're watching him do his show while I'm watching you react to his show. I call it the third eye. I just made it up. It's not copyrighted. And it is really fun to sit in the back of the room and watch you react to my friend doing his jokes. And there was one time where this comedian, and he was pretty blue, and he was talking, you know, the men and the women, and he was, there was this couple right in front of me that I could see their reaction, and he starts off, hey guys, by applause, who likes women with big breasts? And of course, many men will, in the crowd were clapping, and this one guy was not just clapping, he was whooping, and he was obviously with his girlfriend. And I thought for sure, things are going to blow up and it's going to be like, oh, see you later. But he kind of noticed her and he, I, he said something and she seemed fine and everything was fine. And my friend continued with his show. Well, of course, he balances it out. He says, okay, ladies, your turn. Just when it comes to sex, is size important? Well, his girlfriend almost jumped out of her seat. She was like, yeah! <laughs> it was the funniest thing I've seen in a long time. And by the way, that show was in Grand Prairie. And they don't mind blue material. And they're a great crowd, and I love them. They were talking to us, me and the headliner, Mr. Mark Trinidad, actually. Great guy. And they were saying, oh, we like you guys. You were really funny. They even said, oh, Tim, you're funny too. What are you guys doing now? I said, oh, I don't know. We're just hanging out. Oh, you want to go bowling? We're like, bowling? And I said, yeah. Yeah, this is Grand Prairie. The only things to do here is to drink, have sex, and go bowling. <laughs> I was surprised. I'm like, really? And then they left. We didn't go bowling with them. But I looked at Mark and I said, did that guy just trivialize sex? I I don't get it. Is that like a three-point night in Grand Prairie? <laughs> oh, I got drunk, I had sex, and I just managed to roll a few games. <laughs> Good for you, Grand Prairie. You've got a great sense of humor. I love you. But I'll bring candy for you too. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Speaking of audiences, I know everybody also asks about hecklers. How do you handle a heckler? And what do you do to get around these? I know the typical response you'll see for hecklers. You'll see in a movie, a comedian, and he gets a heckler, and he'll just destroy him. He'll insult him. That is a tool to handle a heckler, but it's not the only one. Sometimes somebody just says something out of the blue and maybe they're trying to interrupt your show. You have a microphone and sometimes I'll just get louder and I won't talk to them at all. Now, sometimes somebody's just commenting on your show and they're not really heckling. They don't want to make you look bad, they're adding. And if they're funny 
if they're getting a laugh, I will roll with that. I will talk to them directly. I will write down their bit. The crowd loves that. And you just have to be careful. I think in my previous podcast, part of my show, you'll hear a heckler commenting throughout my act. And every time he did it, I think nine times out of ten, I got a great laugh from him. So it's also a good thing to have a heckler. And what would Pecker's slogan be? Be like... Sometimes, of course, you get a heckler that just ruins the show and then they'll come up to you after and say, I really helped you out. Like they're just constantly throwing some stupid thing at you. And this happened to a friend of mine, sort of almost happened to a friend of mine. And it's really interesting. He comes off after his set and a heckler had yelled out his punchline at the end of the show. And he was mad. It basically ruined the whole joke. And he sat there and we were in the lobby talking about this and I said, yeah, that sucks. I'm so sorry. And you know what? Of course, as soon as the show's done, that's going to be the first guy to walk over to you and put his arm over your shoulder and say, I really helped you, didn't I? (laughs) Well, no sooner had those words left my mouth than this guy walks up to my friend and says, excuse me, I was the guy that yelled out your punchline. And I am so sorry I did that. I don't know why. I was with my friends. I just came here to apologize. And here's a beer. I felt so bad. I hope you can forgive me. And and then he walked away. And I looked at my friend and I was like, didn't see that coming. And the best part is my friend doesn't drink, so I got to drink the beer. (laughs) This business constantly surprises me. And that's probably part of the reason I love it. There's always something new. There's always something changing. You always have to be dynamic, writing new things, writing new stories. I get stories from the road. Again, for any upcoming comedians, if you have a driver's license and a nice car, these are positives. (laughs) This will get you work. Because surprisingly, for an occupation where people have to drive... And we drive hours to go to a show. A lot of comedians do not have licenses. So if you do, and you're half-decently funny, you'll get hired. (laughs) And on the rare occasion that I haven't driven, which is always a treat, and I was going to Saskatoon, and 
a buddy picks me up right from my house, and I thought that was great. And we're chit-chatting, and we're just getting out of town. And he's from Ontario, where, you know, there's a lot more, you know, people and gas stations and whatnot. And we got outside of Edmonton, and he goes, I'm running out of gas. Is there a gas station nearby? I'm like, oh, it's the prairies, man. <laughs> Found a gas station. So we turned off, filled up with gas. And then on our way back, the same thing happens. I don't know how, but it was even funnier because we're running out of gas and he turns off and I'm saying, okay, we just have to get here. We're almost at Sherwood Park. I know there's a gas station over there. How's it going? Uh, well, it's blinking now. <laughs> I'm like, great. I might have to push the car to the gas station, but we got there. Another time, I think we were in Cold Lake and it was a hit and run show, which means we go, we do the show, we come home again. And that's fine. Although our driver again said, I think I'm running out of gas. So we're not quite in Edmonton. We stop at this one town, but there's nothing open. Again, rural Alberta (laughs) closes down. It's not open till one or two in the morning. So we decide to keep driving and it did work out. We got to Redwater, which is just outside of Edmonton to fill up for gas at this all night gas station. And Redwater is just a very, very small place. And I walked in the door and the cashier at the front looks at me and goes, are you the nervous comic? <laughs> and I said, yes, yes, I am. He said, You're so funny. I saw you at the comedy factory. Redwater, I rule, apparently. And that's what I told all the guys I'm with. Yes, we love to be recognized. And it was just funny that that happened out of nowhere. Thank you, Redwater. I don't know if I have to bring you guys candy, but maybe I'll do a show in your town one day. in the front tables here too. <laughs> <laughs> this is like you guys thought you were going to the zoo and the monkeys were on the cage. You know? <laughs> Don't get too close. <laughs> it's not like I'm going to follow you home and wake up tomorrow and we're going to be on your couch going, hey, <laughs> you're out of nachos and your weed's gone. <laughs> but that's what I want in a comedy show. That's a free space here. Another thing that's not so much fun, and you've probably seen comedians not do so well, and yes, I have done my share of bombing. That is the official comedian term, and it's not fun. But there is lessons to be learned from it. If you tape your set, which you should do, you can see where maybe you lost the crowd, see how you can get better, and try not to take it too personal. I remember doing a set and it didn't go well. And I felt so bad. I felt the world was over. I thought everybody would know that I bombed this show, but they don't. They forget about you. They don't remember. And I guess it helps you build your thick skin because sometimes you just can't help it. Sometimes the crowd just doesn't like you. There's something about you. Maybe they remind you remind them of a school principal or a bully, or they don't like your voice or something you just can't control. And you just have to accept it and move on because there are great shows waiting for you. All of you, and I've had great shows. 
And sometimes you have great shows in the strangest places. I remember going up to northern Alberta and going to two small towns. Well, we went to Dawson Creek, which, yes, I know is in British Columbia, just over the border. And it's a long drive. And it was a small community. But me and a friend of mine, Sean Thompson, had a fantastic show in Dawson Creek. And they bought us shooters after, and they partied with us, and they loved the show, and they were laughing, and they wanted us to come back. And the next day, we had to go to Beaver Lodge, which is just an hour down the road, and again, just a small community. The hotel we were in was ancient, and it looked like where guys just, old guys show up and have a couple of beers in the afternoon, and the rooms are right above the bar. I guess we use the same hotel rooms that the strippers used, and they come down and do a strip show. And it was this huge bar that was probably built in the 60s. And there was like three guys at the bar when we got there in the afternoon. So I went for a nap. And then about half an hour before showtime, I came down to the bar, and I looked for my fellow comedian, and I couldn't find him. Not because he was hiding, but because the bar was filled with seemingly everybody from Beaver Lodge, and they were dressed up. There was like 200 people there to see the show. I texted my buddy. I go, Sean, where are you? He thought I was being an asshole. He thought I was joking because when we got there in the afternoon, there was four people in the bar. And he says, yeah, really funny, Tim. Yeah, well, what, amongst the four people that are there? So five minutes later, he comes down the stairs and he goes, oh, I see what you mean. And that show was a super success, too. I got up there. We had people right up to the stage, and they were loving my set. And I was giving them lots of laughter. And then Sean comes up and just knocks it out of the park. And we were amazed. Two great shows all in a row. And just in small communities. It happens. And it keeps me going. I mean, it's one of the reasons I love being a stand-up comic. And I don't know what my wife gets so jealous about. I don't know what she thinks is going to happen in one of these shows. In the middle of my set, an old girlfriend's going to stand up and go, Hey, hey, hey! Tim was kind of nerdy in high school. But now! Travels the province! $25 a show! I missed that. <laughs> and so that's about it for this uh, podcast. I just wanted to give you some ideas about stand-up comedy, why I enjoy it and why I do it, and some of the fun things we get to do as comedians and entertainers. So I hope to have some new ideas for you in the next one, but un until then... If you want to get hold of me, nervouscomic at gmail.com. Nervouscomic.com is my website. I'm also available on Twitter and Facebook. And if I'm in your town, please come down and check out my show. Let me know what you think, honestly. If you want to talk stand-up, I love doing that. And if you want to have a couple beers, I love doing that too. Thank you so much, Internet Land. 
I hope this reaches a lot of good people. <laughs>